Okay, good evening, everybody. My name is Dr. Bill Takeshta, and we want to welcome you again to our monthly Braille Institute lecture that's related to pediatric vision care. And each month we have a different topic. And tonight we're going to be talking about eye pressing and eye poking. Now, eye pressing and eye poking is one of the types of behaviors that we often see in many children. And typically, when we do see children who do poke their eyes, we see a few things that are quite common. Typically, it's going to be a child who does have reduced vision. It's very rare that we see a child who has typical or normal vision that pokes her eye. Number two, it's usually more common with children who have a retinal condition. This might include retinopathy of prematurity, retinal detachment, retinitis pigmentosa, Leber's congenital amaurosis, or other types of genetic retinal conditions. And number three, we also seem to see it more often in children who have nearsightedness, also known as myopia. So we then ask, why is it that children tend to poke their eye? What seems to be so fun about this? Or why is it that they poke their eye and stick their fingers or even their fists inside their eye as compared to sticking their finger or thumbs into their mouth or their ear or to their nose? And we will see that some kids will also poke their fingers inside some of these other orifices. But again, we are concerned when they're poking onto their eye. Now the question is, why are we so concerned? What's so bad about them poking their eye? Well, we know if they poke their eyes too hard, it can actually cause a detachment or a tear to the retina. The retina is the tissue that lines the inside of the eyeball, and the retina is a tissue that receives light and sends electrical signals to the brain through the optic nerve. So if a child is poking her eye too much, sometimes the retina might tear. And this could be very similar to if you developed a tear in your wallpaper. It just starts to spread. But in this case, if it tears and spreads too much, it could lead to severe vision loss. In other cases, if a child pokes the eyes too hard or they might stick their fingers or their knuckles into the eye, it could also cause a detachment to the retina. And a detachment to the retina would be analogous to if the entire wallpaper on our wall did come off. So this is something that's a bit more serious because it can lead to total blindness if a child has a retinal detachment. The third thing that we're also concerned about is that when a child is always poking or touching the eyes, we're also concerned that it can cause infection. Infection to the eye can become very, very dangerous, and there's even some cases of rare but very severe infections that could affect one eye and then it could also later affect the second eye. So in some cases we see an infection that could be so severe that the eye may even need to be removed because of this different type of inflammation. So why do we think that kids will poke their eyes like that? Why is it these children who have retinal problems might poke their eye? Well, one of the things that we do know is that when a child pokes the eye, it causes electrical stimulation to the retina. All of you could gently tap your own eye, and you probably will see these little sprinkles of light 
it might look like fireworks, or you could see these little flashes of light. So when a child does that, they are often stimulated by seeing these light patterns. To them, it's almost like looking at the sky on the 4th of July because they see these images that are very stimulating. So we will often see children do this when they are not engaged in other types of activities that are very, very interesting. For example, we see kids who are playing video games and they're playing with their Game Boy or PlayStation. They got their fingers on the controllers. We rarely see children poking their eyes at that time. However, if a child is lying down in bed, ready to go to bed, or they're in the lecture and they're really bored out of their mind, they may then start to daydream and they will then self-stimulate by actually poking on their eye. It's similar to a child who sucks his or her thumb. It's a way that they can actually calm themselves. They're actually receiving some level of stimulation, and they're in their own world. At that point in time, they're not really interacting with their environment. However, for most kids, when they are interacting with other people, or they're engaged in an activity, whether they're playing with clay, or they're building things with blocks, or they're watching a movie, or they're talking with somebody, most kids, they don't poke their eyes when they're doing these kinds of activities, but it is possible that a child may actually poke their eyes when they are engaged. Just this evening, we had one of the teachers from Northern California tell us a story about one of her high school students who pokes his eyes when he's paying attention. He comments that when he pokes his eyes, he could understand the lecture better. When he's poking his eyes, he could understand what the person is saying to him more clearly. So this is something that's a, a, a first for me, but it again, it's a reality when the student does tell you that, especially when they're that age. So we know that most of the times they are poking their eyes for either, number one, stimulation, or number two, it's a self type of calming type of a situation. So what are some of the things that we try to do about it? We know we don't want the kids to poke their eyes because it can be dangerous to themselves. It can even cause them to possibly lose their eye. Now I have gone to many schools and talked to kids about this, and I have told them, as an eye doctor, I know that you might enjoy doing this. It might be fun, but it's something that's not good for you. An analogy might be, if you have stitches and the doctor has just sutured your, your leg up after you've been involved in an accident, it might be fun to kind of poke and peel at the sutures or poke and peel at a scab. But when you continue to do that, it can actually cause problems and damage. But for the eye, when you do things like that, it can actually cause blindness or even worse yet, the removal of the eye. Now, this is something that's really very, very harsh. But for some of the kids who are older students, the students who are in middle school or high school, I think sometimes this is a discussion that needs to be brought above by the eye doctor. I don't know that it's really the position or the job or the responsibility of a teacher to say that. But again, this may be something that the teacher may want to discuss with the parents or the guardian to actually ask the doctor to talk about this. 
If the doctor is not willing to, maybe the mother or the father wants the teacher to talk about that. But in many cases, it is something that needs to be brought up so that we could preserve and save the child's eye. Now, I have found that for some of the kids who are older, this particular technique has been quite effective because they don't want to lose their eye. They don't want to go through the process of having their eye removed or having to wear a prosthesis. But again, I, I must make it real clear, it's probably something that's best for the ophthalmologist or the optometrist to discuss this with the child in front of the parents. I think it's very, very important. Number two, we also think that once the parents understand this, they could also try their best to remind the child not to do this. Very often it's very, very difficult, but there's certain types of things that can actually be a, a learned type of behavior. We have seen for some young children who would poke their eyes during the daytime that through different types of training by the parents, they have actually learned not to poke their eyes. A third way that we also really like to do this is by prescribing glasses. Now, glasses is one of the more acceptable and easier types of ways to try to avoid a child from poking their eyes. At first, we want to prescribe a pair of glasses with the child's prescription, and we want the glasses to be one that would actually fit quite close. By fitting closer to the skull and to the face, it's more difficult for the child to actually get the fingers inside behind the glasses. Now, there are special types of glasses that we find will be better for other kids, who, especially those who have a very, excuse me, a very flat bridge. With these particular types of glasses, they actually are going to be like a goggle. They'll be very, very tight and very close. We'll then put on different types of elastic straps on the back. In some cases, for a young child, we'll have to do a more of a customized type of a strap where there'll be two straps, one that goes just straight back and the other that sort of comes along part of the top of the head. This makes it really a very secure fit and makes it much more difficult for the child to remove the glasses. In other real young child children, we, we may sometimes use glasses that have even a thicker type of a band. These are things that are a little bit similar to the rec specs that you see a lot of athletes wear. But they do fit very tightly, and there's actually a shield on the side, so it again makes it very, very difficult for the child to begin to poke the eyes. So with the assistance of the parents, with the glasses, and also with the assistance of a teacher's aide or the teacher for the visually impaired at school, a lot of times we can go ahead and work together to help these children. Now what if the child is much, much younger? Let's say that we have a child who is three to nine months, and when they go to sleep, they're always poking their eyes while they go to sleep. <clears throat> well, in these cases, one of the things that I do advise is that many times we could look to see what's really happening. Is it where the child is actually fisting, or is the child poking with a finger? If the child is poking with a single finger, many times what we will do is we will use mittens or gloves. By using tiny little mittens and gloves, it makes it harder for just a tiny finger to get inside the eye. 
The advantage of this is that when you just have something very tiny, such as a single finger that's poking the eye, we have more force. We might think of the fact that, let's say that we were going to try to pop a balloon, and we put our entire fist alongside the balloon, it might be kind of hard to pop it. But if we had something that was very tiny, something like a chopstick, you know, it could pop it very easily. And that's because the smaller the size of the finger, or whatever that's poking the eye, the smaller it is, the greater the force. Okay? Another analogy you might remember, would you rather have your foot stepped on by a person wearing high heels or regular heels? And we would probably rather that it's a regular heel because it's a larger area and then there's less force. Now what if the child is fisting the entire eye? If we see a situation where the child places his or her entire fist inside the eye, then again, we're very concerned about that, and we really don't want the child to be able to do that. There has been situations where some parents have created different types of things. For example, some have actually created a very, very ingenious type of invention where they actually put on some of the floaty types of devices that kids will sleep in excuse me, swim in, but they'll wear these floaty devices right at the elbow when they're going to sleep. So what this does is that this partially, it partially restricts how much a child could bend the elbow. By only bending the elbow partially or allowing the child to bend the elbow partially, then it makes it harder for them to poke and to rub their eyes during sleep. Another thing is that other parents have actually used other types of firmer cardboard and other types of materials with an elastic type of ace bandage to restrict the movement at night. Others have actually created little jackets which are like a windbreaker and within the windbreaker they velcroed a, a very soft type of a tube and again this tube allows them to move their arms somewhat but they can't bend the elbows completely. The advantage of the jacket is that the jacket eliminates them from learning how to pull the cushion or the tube away from their elbow while they're sleeping. So these are some other really helpful types of solutions. Another thing that I also saw another parent is that they actually found these very interesting types of infant or there was actually something that they found from a stuffed animal and this was for an infant but it was actually a boxing glove and with a boxing glove it was so large that it would not be able to penetrate the eyeball and to press right onto the bulb so there's many different types of options so I think the things to think about as we're thinking about strategies when the child is awake we really try to develop that type of behavioral response that when you stay hands down then that's going to help them to keep their hands down as as best as possible. If the child is having problems with poking the eyes when they go to sleep, we could use some of these other more restraint or more restrictive types of devices that can be developed. During the daytime, for all children, glasses and the goggles, they also work very well. And we also might think about the fact that we could also use other types of games or toys or other things that really keeps the child very, very active. In other words, 
we see that by placing a toy or another object in a child's hand, then this is often going to engage them. We just had a child about two weeks ago, and this was a major problem. And inside of our waiting room, we had these tubes. And these are like pipes that are about eight inches. And they remind me of the straws, you know, the straws that you could flex at a 90-degree angle. Well, with this particular tube, when you flex it, it makes a sound. So this child was so interested in this toy, this tube, that she would have to keep one hand on the one side of the tube and the other on the other side, and she would stimulate herself by making that noise. So in this way, she had both hands active, and she wouldn't poke. So we want to try to think about when does a child poke the eyes? Now, again, we talked about the fact that if a child is active and if they are not poking their eyes, that's a really very, very nice thing. If a child is only poking the eyes when they're being carried, let's say we have a child who's always poking his or her eyes when mom or dad's carrying them. Well, one of the things is that when a child is being carried, there really is nothing that they have to do specifically. They don't have to use their hands to assist with crawling, or they don't have to use their hands, or they can't use their hands to grab other toys and other objects because mom or dad has them carried. So remind mom and dad if they notice that the child is poking the eyes when he or she is being carried, let's give the child something in his or her hands that would keep the hands occupied. A lot of times it's very nice to have something that's going to be larger so that they have to use two hands. By keeping objects and toys that have two hands, it makes it a lot easier. So, for example, um, let's say you have a four-year-old who's sort of defiant at that time. Well, you might go ahead and use the toy Bop It. Bop It's a game that they could stimulate themselves and they could learn timing and sequencing and all sorts of things, but they do have to use two hands together. Okay? So these are some of the kinds of things that could be very helpful during the daytime to keep the child active. Now you might say, what about the child? You know, this is a great idea about putting glasses on or using goggles or wraparound glasses. But it's hard to get the child to wear these glasses. Well, there's a few things that we could, again, we could use behavioral modification to help the child to get accustomed to wearing the glasses. One of the things that we'll do is that we're only going to put the glasses on during those things that the child really likes. And we have to be strong about that. So if the child really, really enjoys eating, then we could put the glasses on every time that the child eats. If the child enjoys a particular type of drink, we could put them on every time we get that drink. If the child likes a particular toy or a video or a music soundtrack, put the glasses on during that time. And we'll find that with time, you know, it might be that the first day the child's wearing them five seconds for that first day, but we'll see with time that the child can then learn to become adapted to wearing the glasses in that way as well. Now, what about children when they're actually poking their eyes in the classroom? Let's talk about children who are a little bit older and they're writing their spelling words down. And let's say, for example, that with their right hand, uh, they're holding on to their pencil. And in their left hand, they got a finger right there inside that left eye. Again, we want to go ahead and ask the optometrist to fit the child with glasses. That would make it much more difficult 
to go ahead and to poke that left eye. Also, we want to do things that are going to make it a little bit more demanding for the child to use the left hand. It may be something where with that child we're going to place the paper on the desk, but maybe we're going to clean that desk very well so it's a little bit slicker or slippier. So if the child doesn't use the left hand to put it on the paper while writing, that that paper might be sliding around. We might also do other things. Well, we might go ahead and give that child a special type of eraser. Tell the child to hold an eraser in the left hand. That could be another type of an option so the child is going to keep that left hand active. We might go ahead and give that child a highlighter and say, you know, hold your highlighter in your left hand and write with a pencil in your right hand. We could do all sorts of other types of things trying to keep that left hand very, very occupied. Another thing is what happens if the child is in the classroom and during the lecture the child is poking the eye. Well, another thing that we could do is if the child's a bit older and a bit more responsible, if the child is having difficulties with listening and understanding, we might ask that child to hold on to a tape recorder or a digital voice recorder with the one hand and the other hand the child's going to be trying to take notes or draw sketches. We might do other types of things where maybe we're going to let the child use a notebook computer or the child's going to be doing something there where he or she's going to be using both hands together. It might be a braille note, it might be a netbook computer, it might be an iPad or anything else where the child will use that type of tactile feedback. We might hypothesize why is it that some children might be able to understand or comprehend better when he or she is poking the eye. One of the things that we do know through medical research and using PET scans, this is where we could study the activity of the brain when a child or an adult is doing a task. And what they have found is that for many children and adults who are visually impaired and even the blind, when they are actually touching and feeling things, we find that the occipital lobe of the brain, which is normally involved in the process of vision, becomes activated. So what's very interesting, normally the occipital lobe of the brain is the part of the brain that processes what we see. But we now know through these PET scans that for many people who have vision impairment, when they use their fingers, the occipital lobe of the brain becomes activated as well. So the significance of this, it means that perhaps the tactile touch, by touching the eye, it gives that type of stimulation to the occipital lobe of the brain. Now we then ask the question, would we get the same type of stimulation to the occipital lobe of the brain if this student was touching the desk, or if this student was touching a pencil, or the student was touching a braille display. And that'll be a very interesting study. I, I don't know the answer, but that would be one hypothesis. Why is it that when this child is actually touching the eye, that the child could comprehend better? So we know that this particular type of neural input into the brain can often stimulate various regions of the brain that might help with the attention. 
Now, even though this is a very difficult one, because even with, though that touching the eye or poking the eye might help the child to comprehend better, I still would prefer that he or she was not poking the eye. Now, what about when kids are getting a little bit older? I think a real important thing as kids are getting a little bit older is that they also have to learn what is more of an appropriate type of behavior. What appears appropriate and what does not appear appropriate. It doesn't seem to be very appropriate if everybody is going to talk to the others about what seems to be appropriate behavior and others. Sometimes the peer support or the peer comments is something that might cause a child not to. For example, if you're a young girl who's 14 years old and you want a boy to ask you out, if the boy says, well, I don't like people who are poking their eyes, that may play a significant role in helping this person not to. But I think many times parents and, 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 and other adults, and especially eye doctors, were very, very concerned about not hurting the child's feelings. And although that is very important, in the long run, if we see people who are still having these behaviors that are not appropriate, it really limits a lot of their future. It would limit their ability, perhaps, to get a job. I had a patient, and this was a young girl who basically said that when she is thinking about something very, very hard, such as taking a test at school, she was in college, and she said every time she took a test at school, she never realized that she was always poking and rubbing her eye. And this was something that was brought to her attention by her professor, and her professor thought that she had a vision problem that was undetected. And she said, oh, no, you know, I really can only see light in this eye, and I never realized I was doing it. So in this case for her, all this time no one ever told her, and she wasn't aware. And when she learned that this was something that she was doing, she made a conscious effort not to do it because, again, she didn't want to look different. So her solution to that was when she took a test, she would actually place her hand underneath her left thigh such that the palm was on the seat of the chair. So in essence, she was almost sitting on her hand as she was taking her test, and she said, I never had to worry about that. And I asked her, do you think that this ever happened at other times? And she said, you know, she asked her friends if they ever noticed it, and they all said they only noticed it when she was taking a test, when she was in that type of in-depth thought. So overall, I think that the eye-poking is something that is serious for the physical health of the eye. If they continue to poke their eye, they're at risk of losing their sight because of a retinal detachment. Number two, a child or an adult who pokes the eye is at risk of losing the entire eye. The eye itself can become so inflamed that the eye has to be enucleated or removed, and an artificial eye has to be inserted into the orbit. Number three, we know that poking the eye has some very negative social connotations. When people see somebody poking the eye, they may think that this person has some real mental difficulties 
or they might think that this person is just very, very strange, and it can affect their social behavior. It might affect their ability to develop friendships, or it might also affect their employment. A lot of people may not want to hire a, a teller at the bank who suddenly starts poking their finger in the eye, and all the customers get sort of you know grossed out by that. So I think it's important that we do things about it. Number one is to educate the parents, educate the teachers, and to educate the child. We want to develop reinforcive types of behaviors so the child at a young age learns that this is something that's not appropriate. Maybe we're going to give this child a substitute. If it's a young infant, maybe we give the child a blanket. That's fine. We could give it a blanket or a particular type of toy or a squish toy or something that they may enjoy. If a child is a bit older, we want to go ahead and create some type of a reward system so that they don't do this. We could then use glasses. The glasses is something that's very helpful. If we need to do something while they're sleeping at night, we could restrain their arms. I really don't like to try to restrain the arms during the day because it affects a lot of other aspects of their general development. But in some cases, if it's getting to be very serious, we may go ahead and put that type of restraint until the child then also learns that if they continue to poke their eye, the restraints are coming back on as well. And then when the child's a bit older, I think we really try to communicate. We try to explain. We want to explain to them that this is something that makes you stand out as being different than others. And maybe it makes others uncomfortable. So let's try not to do this. So these are some of the suggestions. And let's go ahead and why don't we unmute the phones and all of you other specialists here. Maybe we could all share some of the other strategies that we have used. And we could also open it up to different questions. So go ahead and press star six. And we'll answer questions for the next few minutes there. Um, basically, uh, her response was for her son, he was so afraid of getting eye drops at the eye doctor's office that that negative experience was something that helped him to stop by simply saying, if I see you rubbing your eyes, we're going to have to put eye drops in like the eye doctors, and that immediately stopped it. So, wow, that's a really a very, very good, good recommendation. Does anybody else have any other uh, suggestions as to how they have helped their child or their student to not poke the eye. You know, it, it's very difficult on the child also if we're always saying no poking, no poking, and all these things that are negative. So, yeah, by saying something cool like Pokemon, that, that is a, a clue for that child so the child knows that he or she shouldn't poke the eyes. And the other students in the class, they don't need to know what Pokemon means. It just is, is a cool term to say because the kids love Pokemon. And then also, like Sue was mentioning, sometimes by walking up to the child and just gently touching them on their shoulder, their arm, it sort of reminds them that, hey, you know what, you're doing something that you're not supposed to. And this is, again, why it's kind of helpful at times to put something in a child's hand. Sometimes it might be that uh, you put a wrist, you could put a wristband on a child. I had one mother who put a wristband, and any time the child sensed this sensation from the wristband, it kind of diverted the attention from poking the eyes. So these are all things, just again, 
to try to make the child become aware of what they're doing. Because as we know, many times they're not aware of doing. Just like the college student. She was never aware that she was poking her, per, poking her eyes. Yes, and for, for your, your comment about the adult, when you saw this very, very bright gentleman who had his cell phone and then the other finger was up into his eye. This is where a situation just like glasses, having the right type of glasses that could be very fashionable but made it a little bit more difficult to insert his pinky finger into his eye as he reflexively, subconsciously tries to put his finger into his eye, he will hit one particular part of his frame and then it will then remind him, oh my gosh, I was almost going to poke my eyes again there. So in, in in some cases, as we do get older, the glasses then again, it gives us this reminder of what we're doing that is, is not socially appropriate. But again, it, it almost tells us that there is something neurological that's happening when these folks are poking their eye and they're actually in deeper thought. So, you know, in in some cases like that, yes, if it's something that's, you know, satisfying to him and he's not concerned about the other social implications, I think the last choice that we then have would be for his eye doctor, his eye doctor to really sit down and and say, look it, I'm noticing that we're having more damage to your eye and if this continues, we may need to remove it. I don't know a single person who has ever been okay with having their eye removed. Even even people who are totally blind, they're still afraid of having their their eye removed. So that may be that may be the next step that needs to be discussed with him by his eye doctor. Now, does does anybody have any other uh, suggestions about the types of glasses that, that seem to work pretty well? Does anybody have any comments of things that they have tried? Or uh, has anybody invented anything that works very well for them? Yeah, Patty has some really great suggestions there where she's basically suggesting that uh, intervene with a psychologist and they have behavior modification programs where they do know exactly what types of behavior modification techniques would work the best and also uh, a device called the Z-Vibe. It's a pen-shaped device that uh, vibrates and is very helpful for a lot of kids. So that that's really, really great help there. Thank you, Patty. Well, Julie brings up a really good point that sometimes if with these uh, schools or regional centers that they are not as willing to bring in a, a psychologist or behavior modification specialist. So in these cases, though, what I would recommend that you would do is you would ask your ophthalmologist or optometrist that perhaps they will write this in their report requesting this type of an assistance. And, uh, you know, I think it just doesn't hurt to get that kind of recommendation from the eye doctor who could also describe and explain, you know, what is the potential cost of this? The cost of removing an eye and having a prosthesis and all of that is, is significant. So that would be another uh, suggestion. Yeah, the question is, is there a correlation between the degree of vision loss with that eye and the amount of poking in that eye? And I would say yes, that there is. Typically, if a person has normal vision, we don't see children with 
typical or normal vision poking their eyes very often. Whereas when a child has a retinal detachment where they only see light or they have large areas of blind spots within their peripheral vision, we may then often see that they will then poke their eyes. I think what the reason for that is because when a child has reduced vision and they don't see images as well. Let's say that a child has lost half of the peripheral vision. Well, on that half that they don't see, they're not getting any kind of input. So when they do see that flash of light, it sort of stimulates them in that manner. So, yes, it, again, it is more common with retinal conditions because when you do press the retina, you can activate that signal. On the other hand, let's say that a person had a scar on the cornea. We don't see quite as frequently that they're poking their eye. It's, it's more often with retinal conditions. But it's not only with retinal conditions because we'll see children who have what's called micro-ophthalmia where the eye is small and they'll poke. But, uh, yeah, the, the more severe the vision impairment, I think that then they will pork, poke a bit more frequently. Well, we thank all of you for tuning in this evening to the monthly Braille Institute Child Development Lecture, and we hope that you tune in next month for our next informational topic on children and vision development. For Ayers Alley and Braille Institute, this is Dr. Bill Takeshita. This podcast is intended solely for the use of the blind and the print-impaired audience. Any unauthorized use is prohibited. Thank you.